Well, today we begin our Advent series, The Coming King. Advent means arrival, and it is full of awaiting. In the Old Testament era, era, let me say that again. In the Old Testament era, the people of God were awaiting the advent of their Messiah, the anointed one who would fulfill all of God's covenant promises to his people. And 2,000 years ago, a baby was born in Bethlehem, the Son of God, Jesus, who is called the Christ, the Messiah, the hope of all the world, who died on a cross, uh, was buried and raised again, ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to rule and reign and set all things to rights. And so here we are in the New Testament era, the people of God still awaiting, awaiting the advent of our Lord and Savior, the crucified, risen, and ascended Son of God to return, the return of the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And so here we are in the land in between the advents, rejoicing in the king who has come and longing for the king who is to come. Amen? So this is Advent. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dig into Matthew's biographical account of the Advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, the King. And like much of the uh, Greco-Roman bioi, that's what they called it, biographies, the Greco-Roman bioi of that era, Matthew begins his extensive uh, biography with a genealogy, uh, documenting Jesus' ancestral pedigree. And this is uh, one of those passages that we might be tempted just to kind of skip over, you know, in our Bible reading when we come to it. And I get it, it's got a lot of names, it's a bit tedious, some of them are hard to pronounce. Um, But in many ways, what's happening in this genealogy is it sets the table for just who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Who Jesus is and what he's come to do. It's sort of like the opening act of a great play or movie where there's uh, foreshadowing, right? the beginning foreshadows what's coming in the end. That's what's happening in this genealogy this morning. Uh, Let me show you. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 down to 17. Matthew 1 verses 1 to 17. This is page 807 in the Pew Bible. If you want to grab that, you can join us on page 807. You can pray for me as I read all of these names. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by, Ruth, uh, Boaz by Rahab, 
and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And after David, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. <laughs> Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Um, <laughs> Did you notice that in the, the final summary verse here, 17, Matthew anchors Jesus' ancestry in three defining moments in the story of Israel, each separated by 14 generations. You have Abraham to David, David to the exile, the Babylonian exile, and the exile to Christ, right? So you have these three moments, Abraham, David, and the exile. And the question is, why anchor to these particular moments in Israel's story? Why is it so important that we understand that Jesus is connected with Abraham, David, and the Babylonian exile? That's our question for this morning. And as we'll, we'll see, it's all about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So let's look at these three anchor points in the genealogy under these headings, the promised seed the royal heir, and the redeeming servant, okay? The promised seed, the royal heir, and the redeeming servant. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together as we look at God's word. Father, it matters that Jesus didn't just drop into our world out of thin air. His story has roots. He's part of a bigger plot line. Help us to see that. That he is the story of the, he is the, the hero of the story of Israel, and he's the hero of our stories as well. And so we look to Jesus that we might see him and be changed. Show us, Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, first of all, the promised seed, the promised seed. The first anchor point uh, in Matthew's genealogy here is Abraham. Abraham. Father Abraham, the one from whom all of Israel is descended. Remember the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name gets changed to 
Israel. He has 12 sons, become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is where it all begins. Israel's story begins with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, we read of how God appeared to Abraham. Uh, His name at the time was Abram and called him to leave his land, his people, his family, and everything he knew, his social supports, the protection of his clan, everything, and head out into the unknown with nothing but the promise of God to go on. In Genesis chapter 12, verses two to three, we read that promise. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, look, Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. Not just a tribe or a clan, but a nation. Great, a great nation, numerous, mighty, renowned. I will bless you and make your name great. You'll be rich and famous, Abram. Your legacy will echo down through the centuries. People will know your name so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, Abraham, in order that through you, a blessing will cascade to others. And I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. You're leaving, leaving, Abraham, you're leaving your family, your tribe, your clan, but I want you to know you won't ever be alone. I've got your back, Abraham. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram, this all begins with you, but it won't end with you. It, all this blessing, it's not just for your sake, it's for the sake of the whole world. By the time I'm done writing your family's story, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abram, this is, this is the beginning of a cascade of blessings that will be for all of humanity and reach to the very ends of the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 15, when God formally gives all of these promises in a, in a covenant, a, a, a legal binding promise of covenant with Abraham, we discover it's all going to come to pass through what is called the seed, the seed of Abraham, his heir, his son, which would be nothing short of a miracle because Abraham is a really old man and he's married to Sarah, uh, who is barren and unable to have children. But Abraham believed God and he believed for this promised seed through whom the blessings of God would come both to him and to the entire world. Now, attentive readers of Genesis will perk up at this moment because uh, when you read this phrase, the seed, you'll have a flashback to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, where, where we got the first promise of the seed. Adam and Eve, you'll remember, they sinned against God. They ate the forbidden fruit, and they brought a curse down on all of creation. But then God gave them the promise of hope, the promise of hope, in an ominous warning that God directed to the diabolical serpent 
who had led Adam and Eve into their sin-cursed choice, God says this, Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you, he's talking to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall crush your head and you shall strike his heel. Now, the word for offspring here is seed. Seed, the same word that God uses with Abraham. God says there's going to be a bitter struggle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, between humanity and Satan and all of his minions. And one day the seed of the woman will come and the serpent will strike his heel, a non-mortal wound, and the seed will crush the serpent's head, a mortal blow. This is what theologians call the proto-evangelium, the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the first good news that is proclaimed in the Bible right here, Genesis 3, 15. And it is against this backdrop that God now promises to Abraham, I will bless all of the families of earth through your seed. And the verbal connection between Abraham's seed and the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3 is undeniable. The question is, could this be the same guy? Could the promised seed of the woman who will reverse the curse and crush the serpent's head be the one in the same seed of Abraham who will unleash the blessings of God upon all the families of the earth? This is the question. What if these two promised seeds are in fact one person? And of course, that's Matthew's whole point here in chapter one, that Jesus is both son of Abraham and he is born of a woman, right? Jesus comes to reverse the curse and unleash blessing. He comes to reverse the curse and unleash blessing. He is the promised seed of the woman. He is the curse breaker, the serpent crusher. He is the Eden reclaimer. And he is the promised seed of Abraham, the honor giver, the name establisher, the blessing bringer. All that was forfeited by Adam and Eve, Jesus comes to reclaim. And all that is promised to Abraham, Jesus comes to fulfill. Because this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the promised seed. Amen? Amen. Secondly, he's the royal heir, the royal heir. The second anchor point in Matthew's genealogy is David, King David, the greatest king Israel has ever known. His star is still on the Israeli flag to this day. David is the one who had vanquished Israel's fiercest enemies. He had established the throne, the Davidic throne in Jerusalem. He wrote Psalms to help the people draw near to the heart of God. David was a far from perfect man. His sins are infamous but you cannot tell Israel's story without including David, the king. And just like God had promised to Abraham with a covenant, one day God also made a promise to David 
through a covenant. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 16 say this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your, I will raise up your offspring after you. The word for offspring is seed. I will raise up a seed after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So then David dies. And when he dies, God will raise up a seed, his own heir from his own body. And God will establish his kingdom such that David's house, his dynasty, his dynastic house, his kingdom, his realm, his throne, the, his rule over that realm shall be established forever, unending. Now, it's only natural that David would interpret this or assume this meant uh, that the promise would be fulfilled by his son, Solomon, or maybe his son after him, his grandson. Um, but alas, the kingdom of Israel was almost immediately torn in two. David's throne over the United Kingdom was never reestablished. The northern and southern factions of kingdoms of Israel were at bitter odds with one another for generations. And then in came the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians who served as oppressive overlords of the people of Israel in exile. And if you fast forward even to the first century when Israel is back in the land, uh, that David's throne in, is still empty in a sense because even though Herod is on the throne and calls himself king, uh, he's just a puppet ruler for Rome, the Roman overlords. Israel has no sovereignty. They're still waiting for the full return of the king and the vanquishing of exile. So they're waiting for the promised heir of David for the return of the king, the reclaiming of Israel's glory. It's a far off and distant dream at this time, and yet the promise still stands. The royal heir will be raised up. The Lord has spoken, and that's Matthew's whole point, that Jesus is now coming. He's son of David. He's the royal Heir, and Jesus comes to restore the throne and ascend in glory. Jesus comes to restore the throne and ascend in glory. You say, wait a minute, I don't remember Jesus on a throne. Hebrews chapter 1 depicts this scene where the crucified, risen, and ascended Son of God enters into the throne room of heaven itself and is invited by God the Father to be seated at his right hand in glory, to rule and reign. And the Father does so by quoting from Psalm 110, which is the coronation psalm for David. And this is the quotation. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So you put all those pieces together and it's very, very clear. Jesus is David's royal heir. He's enthroned even now at the Father's right hand in glory. 
possessing all authority in heaven and on earth, as Jesus said. And he will one day return as King of kings and Lord of lords to rule and reign on David's throne right here forever. This is his destiny. He is the heir of David. He's the throne restorer, the enemy vanquisher, the glory reestablisher. All that was forfeited by Solomon, Jesus comes to reclaim. All that was promised to David, Jesus comes to fulfill. After all, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Amen? He's the promised seed, the royal heir, and finally the redeeming servant, the redeeming servant. The third anchor point for Matthew's genealogy is the exile, the exile, the Babylonian exile. This was the season of Israel's greatest shame. God had predicted this would happen. One day Israel's unfaithfulness would go too far. All their idol worship, their injustice to one another would one day be too much. That they would spurn God's call to again and again come to repentance, to turn from their sin and come back to Him. But they would refuse Him and refuse Him and refuse Him. And so one day God would say, enough. And He sent them away, just like He said He would. They had broken their covenant with God, and so he sent them into exile. They were deported from their land. They were under foreign oppressive rule. They were humiliated and ashamed. And yet, God did not leave them without hope. He didn't leave them without hope. Listen to these words from Isaiah 54, verses 7 and 8. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with, look at these words, everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. I briefly deserted you, but I will gather you. I hid my face from you, but I will have compassion on you in my everlasting love. But their question had to be, how? How, God? How, since we've broken your covenant? How, since we are unworthy of your love? How, since we're unfaithful and unjust? We know you're a holy God, and you can't just look the other way. It's not like we didn't sin. What hope is there for a sinful people like us? How can you possibly bring us back into your covenant love when we have failed you and rejected you and turned the other way? You see the question? And God's answer in Isaiah is that he will do all of this through his suffering servant. His suffering servant. Listen to these words from Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 5 and 11. Surely he, this is the suffering servant, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So how, God, how will you bring an unfaithful people home from the exile they deserve? Answer, he will send his servant to suffer on behalf of the people who will bear their sin and shame in order that they may be accounted righteous through him. This redeeming servant of God will come and through him the exile will be brought to an end. And not only that, but God promises to make a whole new covenant with Israel, with his, with his people, a way better covenant than the one they broke. Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so, you see, Israel was waiting waiting for the suffering servant to come who would bear the sins of the people and bring the exile to an end and usher in a new covenant with God. And of course, throughout all of these years, it never happened. They were still under Roman rule. They had never fully come back into the land. They were still in exile in a sense. And of course, this is Matthew's whole point that Jesus is the suffering servant, the promised redeemer who was to come. Jesus comes to end the exile and begin a new covenant, friends. Jesus comes to end the exile and bring in a new covenant. Remember what John the Baptist cried out when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1:29. Remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Luke 22, 19 to 20, the last night of Jesus' life before he was betrayed, Jesus at the Last Supper says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, Jesus is the redeeming servant. He's the sin atoner, the exile reverser, the covenant sealer. All that was lost in the exile, Jesus comes to reclaim. All that was promised in the suffering servant, Jesus comes to fulfill. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of the exile. He's the promised seed, the royal heir, the redeeming servant. Amen? Which means, bottom line, 
Jesus is the hero we've all been waiting for. Jesus is the hero we've all been waiting for. Seriously, seriously. What more, what more could you possibly want in a hero? Hmm? He's the curse breaker, the serpent crusher, the Eden reclaimer. He's the honor giver, the name establisher, the blessing bringer. He's the throne restorer, the enemy vanquisher, the glory reestablisher. He's the sin atoner, the exile reverser, the covenant sealer. That's our Jesus. That's our hero. And how did he do it? How did he do this? This hero of all heroes, friends, he broke the curse by becoming accursed on the cross for us. He crushed the serpent's head by allowing the snake to strike his heel in our place. He reclaimed Eden by being cast out from the presence of God. He gives us honor as he bears our shame. He establishes our name as he is mocked on the cross. He brings blessing as he receives a curse. He restores the throne by giving up his rightful place at the Father's side in glory. He vanquishes the greatest enemies of sin, death, and Satan by being vanquished by them on the cross. He reestablishes glory through his own dishonor and shame. He atones for sin by becoming sin for us. He reverses the exile through his own estrangement. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he seals the covenant with his own body and blood. Don't you see? He is our substitute in every way. Matthew is foreshadowing in this genealogy, just who Jesus is and what he's come to do. He's Abraham's promised seed, come to reverse the curse and unleash blessing. He's David's royal heir, come to restore the throne and ascend in glory. He's Israel's redeeming servant, come to end the exile and begin a new covenant. This is the hero we've all been waited, waiting for, and his name is Jesus the Christ. Would you pray with me? In the fullness of time, Father, you sent us our hero. The story of this world is not haphazard. The plot line of history is not an endless cycle. It's not a tragedy. It is a heroic story of redemption, of a world that was made beautifully by you, that was broken by us, that is redeemed by Jesus and will one day be fully restored in glory when he returns. We live in the middle of this grand redemption story. And it's all about Jesus. 
Father, help us this Christmas to remember who we are, to remember the story we, li we live in. Father, help us to forget the cheap imitations of stories that tell us we gotta go make our own story and make our own life and find our own significance and secure our little lives and try to be happy in our own way and die and be forgotten. Father, there's so much more going on. And so this Christmas, remind us who we are by showing us who Jesus is. Help us pause and let the wonder in this Advent season. We pray this for the glory of our hero, Jesus the Christ. In his name we pray, amen, amen.